my name is Kwai and welcome to The Quad Boy Show. In this episode, I am honored to be interviewing a veteran. Um, he is a share trader and a um, trading veteran for over 30 years. And um, he's one of the first people ever to release a share trading book in Australia. Um, he is the best-selling author of The Art of Trading and The Art of Options Trading in Australia. So um, his name is Chris Tate. And he is, he's been trading for quite some time. He's been trading for over 30 years. And he, he has the type of um, interesting personality where he's, he's, very, he's got a very quantitative type of look towards life and, um, and trading in general. So I think that's an important component in terms of um, improving your, your success rate in trading. Because as you know, um, psychology plays a major role in, in trading because if you get too emotional, you're going to have more losses. So if you don't get emotional, then, um, then yeah, you're going to be able to withstand the, the pain and frustrations of trading and um, reach the, the winning edge as, as Chris talks about a bit later on. So um, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Chris Tate. Thanks. Hello. Good morning. How you going? Good. And yourself? Yeah, good, good. Your audio is really, uh, it's really amazing. The microphone. Oh, yeah, I'm trying a new setup. Yeah. So, yeah, it's one of those little baby, we travel, Louise and I travel with a little baby H1N for mm. doing little interviews on the spot. Oh, yeah. And I've always used my uh, big ass Zoom, the great oh, big wow. Yeti. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, I might as well give this a try on the new shock arm and it yeah. seems to work really well. Yeah, it smells, uh, I mean, it, it, I can hear the, um, the quality. It's really good. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good quality. Nice setup. Yeah. I like your sword. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Just um, still, still setting up the, the studio. So just, um, I, pretty, I finished an interview a few weeks ago and um, the guy, he had a really good setup. So I'm trying yes. to still set things up and you know, get it really professional. But yeah, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, like I've had a few with people who seem like they've converted one room into a professional studio. <laughs> yeah, okay. And you look at it and go, mm, yeah, I think you might have overcooked it a little bit, but there you go. <laughs> too much. Well, it's yeah, a, it's a full-time much. thing, right? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you want to be making a lot of money out of your podcasting to do that. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, eventually once you get enough traction, then you can get like sponsorships and then you can get advertising and stuff, so... Yeah, and there's that word traction. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting through the noise mm. of which there is, I think the technical term is a metric shit ton. A metric shit noise. ton, I like that. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, that's the problem with everything though is there is so much noise mm, mm, mm. everywhere. Okay. I mean, whilst, whilst social media and things are good mm. in their limited application god i feel sorry for young people because yeah they're, they're being hit by so much noise yeah yeah it's amazing how there's a lot of um like i'm looking at there's social media you've got the facebook instagram and and with the iphones all of the notification just keeps on you know just you just keep getting those notifications and then you just keep getting distracted you can't focus on anything anymore it's just crazy yeah i was I was around at Louise's place yesterday and her daughter came home who's 12 and her phone was constantly pinging. Oh, yeah. I just want to put it in the fridge. Go, there yeah. you go. You can't hear it now. So, yeah. so, so you're doing some, do something but, useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So would you consider yourself more of a, um, 
like a focus type of person where you block off all the... Yeah, I switch everything off. Mm. I'm, I'm a fan of... God, I don't know who... Oh, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? I can't remember. Is it James Clear? Yeah, he talks about atomic deep habits. focus and deep work. Yeah, he's got mm-hmm. atomic habits. Mm. I've always had this tendency just to... I love silence, which is a problem because my wife loves noise. And so, you know, I shut doors, I switch things off because I just... Mm. It's the only way I can get anything done. Mm-hmm. It's... I, you know, I don't know how people get things done with noise around. It's yeah. like when I was at uni, uh, houses I used to live in, there were people who studied with music. And I thought, oh, really? how the hell do you do that? Like, that's just beyond me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like to listen to just like the classical music while I'm working. It's, it yeah. just keeps it really focused. But when some people are just listening to just heavy rock music and with all the lyrics, I can't do that. You just can't, like, you know, you've got to focus, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I used to share a house with, and one of the blokes used to listen to thrash metal. And I'd think, yeah, I'm not getting it, sorry. Yeah. You know? So there you go, knock yourself out. Yeah. So, what do you, so what do you listen to? You, mostly the classical way you working or? It, I actually have nothing on when I'm working. Oh, just nothing? It's wow. Dead silence, yeah. Okay. I just enjoy the silence because the world's noisy enough as it is. Mm-hmm. So my music's reserved for when I'm not working, when I'm working out. Yeah. It's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't intrude into actually real work. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so would you consider yourself um, the type of person like at a party uh, where you're at the back of the room with your arms crossed and just observing people? <laughs> so- yeah, basically. <laughs> okay. Or not even at the party. <laughs> <You> just... <laughs> not even at the party. I, I think what happens is that I work my way through university as a bouncer. Okay. So when I'm in groups, I have the tendency to stand back and watch people. Because mm. people are fascinating anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People watch just incredibly amazing. fascinating yeah. to watch. Mm. I love wandering down my local coffee shop and just watching people. Yeah. And watch what they do, how they do it. Mm. And I'm intrigued as to the intrusion of their <clears throat> phone into their day-to-day life, particularly when you get two parents there with a kid mm. and they completely ignore the child because what's happening on their phone is much more important, which I find intriguing and equally distressing. Mm. But that's the way society's put together. Yeah, yeah. It is now. Uh, yeah, yeah. So what do you tend to do during like cafes? Do you like trade when you're at the cafe or like you just, no, you just, you just isolate your time to. I'm I'm, I'm one of these odd people who actually goes to a cafe and takes a book. Wow. People tend to look at you like you're some sort of terrorist. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I go, this bloke's a freak. He's got a book. (laughs) So yeah, there's always something to read. There's always a journal article I'm trying to get through. Mm. There's always the book I'm trying to knock over. And I try to resist the temptation of taking my Kindle and reading at that. Okay. Yeah. Take a real book and or use it as time to catch up on podcasts because there's so many of them. Mm, so, so do you think that trading has made you more of a concise, observant type of person? No, look, I've, my view is I've always been a directed thinker. 
mm. in that sort of in my world, everything has a point and you need to get to the point quickly. And you need mm. to do that for a few reasons. One is people lose patience. People miss what you're saying because they don't see the central point because they're caught up in the narrative around the central point. And that's problematic. So the sooner you get to the kernel of what you're attempting to say, the easier it is for you and the easier it is for everybody else. There's also less to remember. You don't have to remember as much. So if you've got some things you want to get to, it's a little bit like, and I was having this discussion with Louisa's son yesterday. Uh, he lost 0.5 of a mark off a specialist maths exam mm. because he misinterpreted the number of significant figures. And I said, look, don't worry, I used to get done because I would always miss one or two steps in the working because I could skip them and just go, I don't need to write that down. We're going on to the next one. Yeah. But, in the, but in the oddness of the way science is marked, you know, the answer would be worth two out of five. The workings would be worth three. And I used to think, that's stupid. Mm. Surely the answer is the only thing you need. How you get there is irrelevant. It, it's, a, it's a little bit like trading in that people are obsessed by how they get to the end point of the money. No, that's, that's not the important part. The important part is just the money. That's it. So how you got there is an irrelevancy. And this is the problem with trading. People disappear down all these little rabbit holes, mm. looking at this, looking at that, you know, trying to find a magic way. Instead of just looking and going, well, the end point is here. The end point is X. What is the straightest route between me and X? But the problem is I think people have this problem with an attention span they just struggle with attention. And I think it's, you know, I, my observation, I don't know whether my observation is correct, is that people's attention span is getting worse. Mm, they true. struggle to stick with things. They struggle to do that, as we mentioned before, that sort of deep focused work where you just sit and grind away at something mm. for however long it takes. And... That, that, that really is to the detriment of people who actually want to get anywhere. One of, one of the things you find, and undoubtedly you found this in your interviews, mm. is that people who are successful have the capacity to focus in on a single thing and they lock onto that thing and that's it. There's no distractions. There's no, what about this? What about that? People are a little bit like a cat with a laser pointer. Oh, what's over there? What's over there? Oh, look at that shiny. I love shiny. Yeah. In, instead of just sticking at it. And the analogy I use is like when, when I train, my, my routine for years until I buggered my back was really, really simple. Squat, bench, deadlift. Do you do anything else? Yeah, sometimes I'll bench, deadlift, squat. Anything different? No, that's nope. really about it. I, I, I don't have anything to remember. There's nothing to remember. 
oh, do you vary the reps? No, five by five. You know, comes and goes in a wave, but five by five, what do you do for cardio? Oh, I play a sport. Oh, I read in men's health. You don't care what you read in men's health, mate. <laughs> be be, be as, as simple as humanly possible mm. because being simple enables you to solve problems, but it also requires less of your bandwidth. Mm. You don't have to concentrate on all these bibs and bobs that are going on. It's true. I mean, I look at people's trading systems and I go, dear God, mm. what the hell is going on here? I can't tell. And if someone who's been doing it for three and a bit decades can't tell, then you're not going to be able to tell. No one else is going to be able to tell. Mm. I, you know, I love simplicity. Simplicity is a brilliant thing. Mm. You know, it's, what was that? There's the old quote by Bruce Lee where he said, <clears throat> he doesn't fear a man who knows 10,000 techniques. He fears the man who's practiced the one technique 10,000 times, mm. which is, kind of the way I see the world. Just be simple. Mm-hmm. It's true. Which is very difficult for people. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's something I've definitely uh, observed over successful people is that um, they've, they've eradicated a lot of the distortion, a lot of the noise, and they just focus on that one or two things, the key things that tends to work. And, and they always say that the, the, the small levers, it tends to move big doors. So it's always that small. Yes. It's like the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. It's always the 20% of things that you do that account that accounts for 80% of the results, right? So, um, yeah, I think uh, what you said is, is 100% dead on. And that's true. It's always the tiny little bits and pieces that make the difference. But it's convincing people that it is those focused little pieces that make the difference. Mm. And that's immensely difficult. People really struggle with that because we come back to that notion of noise. People think that the information is in the noise, Mm. but all the noise is doing is obscuring the signal. And it does that in every aspect of life. And so people get caught and they're they're somewhat enraptured by noise as opposed to the simplicity of the signal. And I don't know whether that's because they don't recognise what the signal is, Mm. they're somewhat scared of what the signal might tell them, in that simple things tell you an awful lot of information, but they also Mm. tell you an awful lot about yourself. When you've got noise around you, you can sort of get yourself lost lost in the noise, Mm. so you don't have to look at yourself. You don't have to look at what you're doing because you're too busy being busy. And people love being busy because I think busy is a wonderful distraction. And it's a wonderful distraction from actually having to focus on what you need to do, what you have to do. But more importantly, asking yourself the question as to why you do what you do. And that's my own observation. My own observation about myself is that that's a, that's a savagely difficult question. When, when you ask yourself why you do what you do, that is problematic because you, all of a sudden the focus is not an external focus. The focus is an internal one. 
And I think the problem with that people have with concentrating is that the moment all the noise disappears, you're only left with what goes on inside your head. And I think for a lot of people, they're not all that keen on what goes on inside their head. They mm. struggle a little bit with that because it might tell them something they don't like. They might see something in themselves they don't like. <clears throat> and it's, it's far yeah. easier to have this carefully crafted image that's you know, probably unreal. But it, what's, it, it gets them through the day. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all people are trying to do. Yeah, yeah. What really um, fascinates me about you is that, you know, your psychology and your approach to things, it seems it's um, your view of the world is very, um, very simple. You, you don't seem to be very emotional about things, the highs and lows. Is that true? Like you don't seem to add any emotion it's, to things? It's probably true. And in trading that, something you cannot <clears throat> yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. Because if, if, your, <clears throat> if your emotions follow your equity curve, you know, they're really good when it's going up, they're really bad when it's going down. That volatility within yourself is immensely destructive because one of the problems with trading is that for, for people who seek validation from being right or who seek reinforcement from being right, then they run into a problem because the majority of trading systems uh, bat less than 50-50 you're wrong more often than you're right. But the good thing is there's no nexus between being right and making money because what happens in trading is little loss, little loss, little loss, little loss, little loss, big win, little loss, little loss, little loss. You don't have, there's no catastrophic failure. But if you're linked to that in terms of your sort of emotional equilibrium, mm. all those little losses, all that, all that things going wrong really, really takes its toll. So if, you, if you're looking to trading as some form of emotional validation, you've really come to the wrong place. You have to have this very flat, almost monotone approach. And that doesn't mean that a lot sometimes when you sit back and go, what the hell happened there? Because you never completely train that out of yourself. Mm. And that's a good thing because it means that when that happens, you still get to go back and examine what happened. Why did it go wrong? What happened? What blindsided me there? But because I'm rules-based, everything has a rule. There is nothing that doesn't have a rule. Mm -hmm. Then... You've largely accounted for every contingency. So all you just have to watch out for is becoming emotionally wedded to a position. It's like the old myth. One of the things that, there are a few things that kill investors and traders, and I use the term investing and trading interchangeably, Mm. one of which is the refusal to take losses early and quickly. You must take them early, you must take them quickly. Why do people not do that? Well, people don't do that because their ego is invested in the position. So what people say to themselves internally is, it's a good stock, it must be a good stock, I bought it, I'm not stupid enough to buy a bad stock. And so to avoid that sort of internal confrontation of 
well, you made a mistake. They simply hang on to it. And they we have all sorts of rationalizations. And stockbrokers use this all the time. And it, it, when I was in the industry, it used to drive me mental because it's illogical. But a lot of the things they say are illogical. And they would say, it's not a loss until you sell it. Yeah, according to the tax man, it actually is because you can claim that loss before you sell it. Mm. So if the tax man says it is, it is. And a, a case in point, and this will be before your time, during the GFC, before the GFC, there was a firm called Babcock & Brown, an investment bank. They were touted as the next Macquarie Bank. And in the run-up to the GFC, share price had explosive growth up into the 30s then collapsed, completely collapsed, it eventually disappeared. I think the last trade was at 30 cents. Mm. There will be people holding Babcock and Brown shares today going, it's still it's a good go stock, <laughs> it's going to come back. Remember, it's not a loss until you sell it. You know, I, I think it actually is a loss mm. because the company's gone, it's burnt to the ground, and they bulldozed over what was left. And so we, we do all these little bits and pieces to try and con ourselves that we don't make mistakes, we don't make errors, we don't get things wrong. And trading is a completely different profession to others because imagine if you're an airline pilot and you only manage to get the plane to the gate 30% of the time. The rest of the time you hit the runway early, you ran into a mountain, you know, you ran off the runway taking off. I don't think your career with Qantas would last all that long. Mm. But trading's completely different. You can have 11 months of being wrong or being flat, and then in the 12th month you make all the money for the year. And that's very, very hard for people to cope with simply because... It's so contrary to our normal daily experience. Mm. Uh, you, you couldn't run a normal life that way. Mm. Uh, imagine trying to park a car with that sort of odds. You know, uh, you managed to park the car properly three out of ten times. The other times you hit the curb, you banged into the car in front, you ran over a pedestrian. You couldn't run your life that way. And so when people come to trading, they have this expectation that it should run like their life but it doesn't it, it is completely different and that really trips them up they just fall over mm. and it, it's one of the prime reasons people simply disappear from trading that they, they give up because it doesn't match their expectation of life mm, yeah definitely um from my perspective, um, so you got the different personality types. You got the, you know, you got dominance, influentials, conscientious, and, and steadies. Um, yes. And with trading, it's it, it's exactly what what you just said about you can't be emotional. You can't be emotional when you're having a loss. You can't be emotional when you win. So, would you say that people who are emotional can that be trained? That mindset that you've got can that be trained to for those people to just you know not look like panic when there's a string of losses because I've been in that situation before. I've had a string of losses yeah. as well and it's really frustrating. And then, you know, you, I, you associate that loss to a bag of groceries, you associate that loss to, and the, so forth. Right. So is that trainable? 
here. And that's that's the important point you make. And, and I think that's a point people miss, is that people equate the size of the loss with a physical object. Mm. You know, they go, I could have gone to Noosa for a week. <laughs> I could have got the car resprayed. I could have bought a new TV. Mm. And so you have that, all that does is amplify the emotional connection. But in terms of training it out, there's a few things that can be done. One is being systematic. One of the things we insist on and is compulsory is that we get everybody, including new to elite traders, to go through the trading plan template we have on our website site. And it's free to download. People can go through it. And what it does is it highlights the methodological gaps in what they do. The more you can fill in the methodological gaps with a statement about what you will do, the easier the road becomes. doesn't mean you'll actually do it, but it actually puts you on that path to doing it. Okay. The issue with trading is that it, it, in terms of its rules, the rules are really simple, and I do tend to harp on about these. And it's if it's trending up over the time frame you're trading, buy it. If it's trending down over the time frame you're trading, sell it. Don't bet the farm. People do the reverse. So the rules are simple, but the execution is very hard. Think of it this way as an analogy. Weight loss is immensely simple. Weight loss must obey the second law of thermodynamics, which says there's no free ride. So weight loss becomes an energy balance equation. So long as you are burning more than you take in, you will lose weight. There's no magic diet. Sugar's not the devil. Going keto won't help. All you've got to do is obey the energy balance. That's it. But there's a whole raft of sort of psychosocial factors that get in the way of people doing that which is why weight loss is not a physical endeavour, it's a psychological endeavour. It's an emotional endeavour. The same is true with trading. Trading is not something that happens on the screen. Trading happens between your ears, and that's the issue with people. They think that trading occurs out there, somewhere over there. Uh, when, when I used to lecture, and I, I would lecture at the ASX and the SFE and various business schools, I, I would ask a simple question and I would say, point to the market, show me where the market is, please. And they would generally point somewhere vaguely towards the CBD or Collins Street here in Melbourne where the exchange used to be located. And my response would be simple, you're wrong. Trading occurs here. It doesn't occur anywhere else because trading is an internal construct. It is your reaction to what's occurring in an external environment. And it is that reaction that dictates whether you are successful or not. If your reactions are illogical, ill-conceived, emotional, irrational, you can't be successful in any way, shape or form. If they're structured, disciplined, coherent, then you will be successful. But they're internal markers. And it's a little bit like... Uh, I'm a technical analyst. I'm quantitative in the way I view the world. 
always have been. I'm not interested in your narrative, your story, or what you think about the company, or whether the MD is a good bloke. <laughs> I love I that. <laughs> it's simply nonsense. I don't care. <laughs> and so, in in being quantitative, you have rules and structure. And I think what catches people is that they they believe that trading is something you make up as you go, because that's what they've seen. Whenever they talk about markets on the news, they always show stock footage of the old stock exchange floor. Mm. We haven't had a floor for 30 years. Australia was an immensely immensely early adopter of electronic trading. Mm. The seat system replaced the old ASX floors 30 years ago. But that's what people think trading is. And so they believe that they should behave that way that they should be emotional, that they should be ringing their broker yelling, buy this, sell that, cover this, do this, which is not what occurs at all Mm. because trading goes on in here and if you can control what goes on inside your head, then you're you're capable of controlling your interaction with the market. You can't control the market, but you can control your response. And if you can do that... It means you, you've given yourself a slight edge. And strange enough in trading, all you need is a slight edge to be successful. Mm. But it is getting that edge. And that's really hard for people to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, what was that book that, um, was it Mark Douglas? He wrote the book. Yes, The Discipline um, Trader. Yeah, Discipline Trader, yeah. And uh, he talks about the slight edge. It's just uh, if you can figure out how to just get that profit let's say you roll a dice and if you can figure out how to just get that 10% increase over yes. time, you will be profitable. So, and, and, and they only have to be tiny. When you look at casinos and you, casino, go right? the, yeah, yeah. Hmm. you go through the odds of the various games, there are games that you've got no hope of winning at all on average over time. But there are games like 21 where the house's edge is very, very small hmm. And that edge can evaporate against a skilled player. But on average, over time, despite their edge being very, very small, the casino still wins because they still hold that edge over time. And this is the thing that I think catches a lot of people is that when you talk about trading, you talk about the expression on average over time. And it's the time that catches people. Because generally, I think what happens with people when they start investing is they go, well, I watched the film Wall Street, both one and two. (laughs) I'll start trading on Monday. Wednesday, I'll buy the Porsche. Friday, might move to Tuscany on Friday if I've got nothing else on and the jet's not busy. And they don't actually understand that it is a... It's something that takes deep time to get to where you think you're going to go. So you're saying managing your expectations, right? Very much so. It's, It's not winning the lottery. And one of the problems with this inability to manage expectations is that people think that every share they buy at 10 cents, they'll buy it at 10 cents at 10 past 10 on a Monday morning when the market opens, by 10.20, it should be at least $4. Mm. 
no, it doesn't work that way. It might be still 10 cents. It might be 10 cents for the rest of the week. And it's that inability to manage expectations. And we, we come back, and I'll come back to the analogy of weight loss again. My, my gym used to start off with, they used to have a 14-week program for people who wanted to get fit. That's gone down to 12, now 10. It's now eight. Okay. Because people's expectation is that, well, I've been doing this for an hour. Surely I should notice a difference. No, it's taken you 20 years to get like that. It's going to take more than an hour to pull you back from that point. It's the same with trading. You can't instantly expect that, you know, you'll have this Monday to Friday massive change in the trajectory of your life. You'll be constantly moving forward bit by bit. And one of the books I always recommend to traders, and I'm always keen on recommending non-trading books, mm -hmm. is An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by the Canadian astronaut Chris Hatfield. Mm -hmm. And it's about his career and his attempt to become an astronaut, which he eventually did. And he started off as a child having watched the moon landings. And he said to his mother, I've worked out what I want to do. And she said, well, that's nice, dear, what? And he said, I want to be an astronaut. And he said, his mother apparently said to him, well, that's good, dear. There's only a few problems. One is we're Canadian and Canada's in a space program. The second is we're farmers and always have been farmers. So he set out this on this trajectory to become an astronaut. And it was very much things like, what do I need to do? Okay. Astronauts back in the day were all pilots. He joined the Canadian Air Force, became a fighter pilot. Then he thought, I need to enhance that. How do I enhance it? Went to test pilot school. I need to get an engineering degree. So it was all this constant forward pressure, this little step, little step, little step, little step. He eventually became the commander of the International Space Station. Wow. And so he got to his end point. But it was all about little steps along the way. And all these steps had constant forward momentum. So sometimes he lost sort of momentum. Uh, when America grounded their shuttles, he thought that was over. Mm. But he eventually got shunted to the program where the Russians took them up. Mm -hmm. And in one of those things that people like this tend to do, he thought, well, I'm going to Russia. I'm to continue my training, what will I do? Let's learn Russian. So he learned Russian. Even down to things like, well, I'm being flown up on the Soyuz. I might not need to know how to fly it, but I think I should learn. And so it's constant forward pressure. And investing is the same in that Tuesday might not look any different from Monday, mm. but if you examine it carefully, it does look a little bit different. Its colour, tone and texture is different because you've got a day's worth of experience behind you. Mm. You've got a day's worth of data. You can then do something with that data. You can sit back and reflect upon it and go, okay, that worked, that worked, that didn't. Why didn't that work? Mm. All right, I can't make it work. Let's remove it. So everything is this narrowing of focus towards your goal. Now, your goal might be to buy a Porsche and move to Tuscany. Fair enough. But unless there is 
unless that becomes more than a pipe dream in terms of, you know, it, it, you've got a structure as to how to get there, it will always remain somewhere off in the distance. Mm. It will always remain one of those things, you know, that, that terrible statement that people make of one day when, well, unfortunately, when the statement one day has the qualifier of when, it never appears because there is no constant forward movement mm. uh, to actually getting there. There's, there's, no, there's no plan, there's no objective, there's no, there's no push. And if there's no plan and no push, you can't get anywhere. Yeah. You've actually got to have some sort of drive, some sort of movement forward. Without that, you'll, you'll stay in the same spot. My, my question to people mm. is, what do you think your life will be like in five years' time? And I get all sorts of you know, responses as to what it will be like. Mm. And then I say to them, something, they do take offence out, and I say, well, look around you now. This is what your life will be in five years' time. Because without this movement forward, to overcome your own inertia, emotionally, psychologically, physically, intellectually, whatever, you won't go anywhere. You'll still be sitting in the same spot saying to yourself, oh, in five years' time, well, eventually the number of five years you have in your future runs out. And so you simply run out of time. So everything must be forward pressure, move forward. And, and the increments can be tiny. The thing I find immensely frustrating is those in what Bali last month for a yoga retreat, mm. free Wi-Fi everywhere and the Wi-Fi is blindingly fast. Oh, I love it. You come, yeah. you come back to Melbourne and you go, why is my phone not working? <laughs> the hell? They're more fast over there. What's going on? <laughs> it's so fun. Everywhere in Southeast Asia you go, yeah. And it doesn't matter where you go, whether it's Thailand, Vietnam, Hong Kong, highly industrialised Japan, mm. internet connection is blindingly fast and stable. Mm. It's quite intriguing. I mean, I could sit in my room in Bali and I could stream Netflix without any problem at all. Yeah. I wander around the house with a tablet sometimes and go, oh, bugger, it's gone. I better walk back to the window. Just, oh. Yeah, our tax dollars definitely have to improve the Australian government. Hey? It's just, um, it's ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> so that's a different show altogether, right? So, that's a completely different conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to, in, yeah, I'm trying to interview Skomo at the moment, but he's not really, he's not answering my, my calls, so I'll, I'll okay. keep trying. <laughs> Tell him you remember the same cult, Hillsong. <laughs> Tell him you remember uh, Chris. Christian rock band, which is probably the saddest form of rock you can ever have, but there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it might work, actually. So, um, mm. All right. I, I just want to go back to um, what you mentioned about long-term, right? So, okay, so the, you have to manage your expectations that trading, to be successful in trading, is a long-term game, right? Yes. So it could be you're, you're expecting maybe about 10, 20 years. Maybe that's a good expectation. Um, from my, from my observation of successful people who've done really good with their careers, um, it seems that, yeah, it is true. It's about 10, 20 year process, but it was backward passion that they're really passionate in what they're doing in the business, trading, 
podcasting, interviewing people, whatever it is, it's passion. Yeah. So do you think passion has to be part of trading? Because I can understand that, you know, you're looking at graphs all day and stuff and yeah. it's not passion. But if you it, like quantitative analysis like yourself, then you're passionate. So yeah, yeah. what are your thoughts on that? I think I, I sort of had mixed feelings about this. Mm. And the evidence from the literature is, is really quite strong in that it says that when you when you match passion with purpose, people tend to go a lot further uh, and they tend to suffer few of the sort of emotional setbacks that people who don't have that linkage have. It's all right wanting to be passionate about wanting to own a Ferrari, mm. but how are you going to get there? What, what What's the actual structure? And I actually think purpose defeats passion a lot of the time because if if you think back to the origin of the word the usage of the word the usage of the word passion was used to describe the passion of christ now that was not the fact that you like to get get together with a few mates for a beer and pizza and watch the footy on a saturday the passion of christ related to a series of trials and tribulations passion is in brackets suffering okay. and i think I think people miss that point. And this is why purpose is so powerful. If your purpose is to say, right, my purpose is to make myself the most effective investor, trader, person, husband, father, wife, whatever, then that provides a foundation that seems to be insulated from you know, knocks and little catastrophic events. Now, granted, if it's got a degree of passion behind it, then it is to a degree turbocharged. But the problem with passion is it comes back to that emotional connection you have with events. Mm. If your passion is to get a Ferrari, what happens if you don't? What, what, what happens if your time frame is, I want it by the 1st of February 2020? Okay, what, what happens if you don't have it? Mm. What, what is the fallback position? And the fallback position for people in that situation is often to regard themselves as a failure and, and to suffer a great and often lasting wound that they can't overcome. So when you look at successful people, I think one of the things that people miss is they see the aura of success. They see how successful people live, what they do. And in many ways, they take the wrong lesson because they miss the notion of what was the system that they used to get them there and what was the internal purpose they had to get them there. Not the passion that drove them. What was the structure, the system and the purpose? Because when things go to shit, as they do, mm. and, and they do for everybody, I've never met anybody anywhere in life who has not woken up one day and gone, oh, dear God, what the hell? And I'm, I'm quite certain even people like Bill Gates roll out of bed some mornings and go, really? What am I doing? This charity <laughs> shit again? I'm so sick of talking about malaria. Christ, can we do something else? But... 
is purpose, cure malaria. Structure is charity. So they drive forward in tandem. And without structure, you, you run into problems. And for investors, structure is their trading system. It is their plan. So that when everything goes wrong, you fall back onto it. When you look at high-performance individuals, they all work around structure. If you look at, if when you wander onto a commercial airliner, you sit down, cockpit doors open. The pilot and co-pilot are not sitting there going, yeah, we're going to Adelaide, aren't we? How do we get there? Oh, shit, I don't know. I think we just go to the end of the runway and turn left, don't we? Keep the coast on our left and we'll fly over it. Yeah, I reckon that'll work. No, they're sitting there, books open, checklist, 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 checklist. Nothing as much as humanly possible is left to chance. It is structure. And if people have no structure, they've got nothing to fall back on. There's no resilience to them. They, they struggle to uh, have any foundation to what they do. Mm. So things like a trading plan, things like a trading method, force you to have structure. You're, you're forced to have a series of statements you fall back on. A has happened, I do. B, B has happened, I do. C, C has happened, I do. D. And that, There's no emotion to it. It's just... There's no emotion. ABC, and it also... No it removes a lot of the cognitive load from people because the thing you don't want in moments of stress mm. is to rely upon your cognitive ability because it disappears. In moments of stress, you get this cognitive stress. And one of the things I've noticed about cognitive stress, and this is one of the things I noticed when I worked as a bouncer, is that the moment you're under stress, your IQ drops. Your decision-making becomes poorer. Time seems to compress for you. And you get also that somatic stress, which is the physiological response you feel. It's, you know, the sweating, the dry mouth, the upset stomach. And they tend to fold back on one another and make one another worse. But if you've got a structure, you don't need to rely upon your cognitive ability because the plan tells you what to do. And the plan gives you time to simply take a deep breath, introduce a pause into your decision-making because you don't have to make a decision. The system will make a decision. Yep. And then you move on. It's not this constant attempt to juggle information. The problem we have as humans is that we have profoundly limited decision-making skills. Our decisions are made up of how smart we are, the time we have to make the decision and the quality of the information we receive. None of those three will ever be perfect. So in effect, every decision we make throughout life is pretty much half-assed. It's incomplete at the best. But if you've got something behind you that takes a lot of the load off, then you don't have to worry about this incompleteness. You don't have to worry that you don't know everything, that you're not the smartest person in the room, that the quality of your information is not perfect mm. because something compensates for that for you. And so you're not drained and you're not placed under 
undue load. Everything, and this is a general statement, a life statement, everything you do in life should be designed to remove as much load from you as possible. So you've actually got time to do the thinking when the thinking is needed. Um, This is why I love modern calendars. My calendar reminds me, it reminded me of this. Got up this morning, little text appeared. Cool. We're organised. Good thought, yeah. Mm. And it, it does everything. It tells me when, where, how, who. And you go, that's brilliant. That's fabulous. And so it's removed that load from me. I can, I can devote brain power to thinking. And the more brain power you can devote to thinking, the better. So you're I big on leverage, hard. aren't you? You're very big on I, leverage. Very much so. You, you have to... In, you, you need to leverage time, ability, everything you have, because time's limited. The clock ticks. And this is one of the things you don't realise when you're young, is that the clock ticks, mm. and it ticks remorselessly. And when you're young, you think you can get away with it, and you can to a degree. The good thing about being young, when I watch young people, is that you can trade time for stupidity, so you can make mistakes, which is a good thing. Because we all do, and you have to make mistakes because they're, for the right person, the most valuable of all learning experiences. For some people, they simply are stuck in Groundhog Day and they repeat the same mistake over and over and over again because they don't have the internal resources to look at the mistake and go, oh, that's me, as opposed to that's always someone else. And so that's the joy of being young. But... You need to leverage time and ability as much as possible. And when people talk about leverage in the trading concept, they think of just, I'll just borrow money to invest. Now, you've actually got to leverage yourself Mm. so that you get as much out of yourself as possible. And this comes back to the notion of, I've never met anybody who could not trade. I've met people who refuse to let themselves be that person, but I've never met anybody who could not trade because trading is so simple. You know, I I buy BHP at X price and I sell Mm. it at X plus 10. It's it's not brain surgery. It's not rocket science. It, It is a very, very simple endeavor, but people won't let themselves be the person who can do that. One of the things I've noticed about watching people over the years, and this came from playing competitive sport as well, Mm. is that there are people who, for whatever reason, don't want to be successful. And I've never fully understood why that is. I think it is, and I wonder whether it's... It's media. I think it's media that does that, to keep people in control, right? To a degree, there is. There is probably that, but the Japanese have a, a, a wonderful saying, and, and the saying is that, and they use it to explain their lack of individuality, and they say that the, the nail that stands up the most gets hit the hardest, mm. and that is their way of saying that if you stand out, then society will drop on you, and Japanese society is very much like that. It is one of conformity. It enables them to do remarkable things that we can't do, like get their trains to run on time and not be dickheads. <laughs> but it also means that they, they suffer in terms of decision-making because individuality is, not, is frowned upon. 
But the intriguing thing is, is Japan has a wonderful counterculture. Uh, they have wonderful counterculture music. They are mad keen on cars. And robots They're as mad well. Mad keen on drifting. Mad keen on robots. They do things differently. But they like being Japanese. But being Japanese is hard. And I think in many ways, people suffer from the same thing. They don't want to be successful. They struggle with the notion of being that person. I don't know whether it's because, you know, we, in, in Australia we have what the tall poppy syndrome, we have, yeah. we have whatever. There's, there's um, also crab mentality as well. Yeah. There's, and There's a lot of that, yeah. It, there's a whole raft of things that catch people and, and stop them. And so I've never met a person who can't trade, but I've met people who don't want to become the person they need to be to move on. Uh, it's, and we come back to the weight loss analogy. I've met people who for the past 20 years, every year have been doing a new diet program. The diet program's not going to do it. The change must be internal. Mm. You must want to be the person who becomes the person you look at or you aspire to be. And look, sometimes that's not easy. It's hard because success does involve, and it doesn't matter what it is, a degree of sacrifice. It is difficult. There are things you have to give up. There are things you have to learn about yourself, which is very difficult. Mm. That, that's immensely you spend, hard. You can spend years trying to figure yourself out. Years. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, sometimes people disappear down that road too much as opposed to simply saying, all right, I've done enough of the touchy-feely stuff. It's really time to get on with it now and just get the hammer down. What do I need to do? Well, I need to physically do A, B, C, and D, right? Let's tick these off the list. And that in and of itself is a form of internal work. Because achieving things and achieving micro goals is a form of internal work. It's like one of the things they recommend for people with depression is really quite simple. Start the day off by doing one thing. Make your bed. So even if the rest of the day is rubbish, you can look back and say, I made the bed. I did one thing. It involved no internal work. No internal reflection. I didn't have to meditate. I didn't have to chant. Didn't have to read my Anthony Robbins book once again. I just simply did something. And one of the things I've noticed about successful people is they make lists and they tick things off. They cross them off. And if it's not done, it's carried forward to the next day. And then it's done again. Mm. Unsuccessful people don't tend to make lists. They don't tend to have this, today I must achieve these. And that, as I say, is, is a form of internal work because at the end of the day, you look back at the things you've done. And we come back to this point I made earlier of, that's constant forward pressure. Mm -hmm. you know, if your list as a trader consists of, must fill in the trading plan template. Okay, fill in the trading plan template. Mm. This point's missing, all right. I need to tomorrow find out what that point is. Why, why haven't I got that? And move forward bit by bit by bit by bit. 
in this sequential, segmented way. And once you do that, once the journey begins, you, you do get momentum. Mm. You do move forward with momentum. And the good thing about momentum is when you suffer shocks, and everybody does, everybody has shit days, weeks, months, years. That just happens because sometimes the universe is a prick. And sometimes... <laughs> I love that. I'm going to get that on my T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, it, sometimes it just picks on you and you go, oh, for God's sake, you asshole. But because you've got momentum, you've got a capacity to absorb that. The people who I see struggle have no forward momentum. So there's no energy to them. Mm. So that when, when they encounter a shock, instead of it just slowing them down, it actually stops them and pushes them back. So instead of being at you know, point A is their start point, they're now at point A minus some quanta. Mm. Whereas people who've got forward momentum and who realise they can do things, go, yeah, I've been slowed down. I've been knocked off course a little bit for a while. But because I have this raft of experience of doing things behind me, I can move forward. I can absorb that and keep going. Mm. And, and this is the thing. Successful people absorb shocks, be mm. they physical, emotional, intellectual, financial, and they keep going. The number of times, for example, another one of the books I recommend that traders read is Market Wizards, mm. which is the story of very, very successful traders. And what you note is that they all had failures. Mm. And sometimes they were catastrophic. <clears throat> and in particular, if you read the case study that of, uh, is it Mark Cook or Mike Cook? Oh. I never remember his first name. Oh, Good wizards. man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. He buried not only himself, but his parents but managed to recover. And so, but because he knew he could do things and he had a purpose, it, it wasn't catastrophic. He just didn't drop his bundle and give up. And so it, it's structure and leveraging your structure and your achievements is so important. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm actually a great one for rewarding yourself. I'm not this fan of this Warren Buffett monastic approach of I've got all this money, but I still live in the same house I grew up in. I get stuff. <laughs> but he's being humble. He, he's just, he doesn't believe in having more than 100K salary, right? That's enough for him, right? Because he's got the... Yeah, but when you've when, when you got, got what, 57, 57 billion in the bank and God knows how much in dividends coming in for Berkshire Hathaway. <laughs> Mind you, I will point out he did recently try and sell one of his beach homes for $14 million. Okay. So, Have you seen his website? His website's very plain, the Berkshire Hathaway one. Yeah, it's sort of circa, <laughs> circa 1998. Yeah, no. it, it, it looks like it was done on Microsoft front page. Yeah, yeah it day. was, yeah. <laughs> You know, we just get the work experience kid to do this. He'll do it for 50 <laughs> yeah, bucks. Because so. <laughs> we've got to save money, you know. Mm. But I'm, I'm one for rewarding your achievements. And they don't have to be dramatic. They can be small. But you still have to acknowledge that you have done something. It, it, it is not that you go out and go, I've had a brilliant trade. I'll go out and buy a McLaren. Uh, it's not that way. When I used to work in broking and there were bonuses given out, 
Brokers used to make that as a catastrophic error. They would get a bonus of, let's pick a number, 200 grand. And they'd instantly go out and buy a Porsche. And at the end of the next year, there would be no bonus. They'd have an asset that was worth half what it should have been worth. And they had no money because stockbrokers back in my day perennially had no money because they simply spent everything as opposed to going, well, I've done really well. I'll reward myself by, well, we'll go away for a week. There we go. And you've still got the bulk of the achievement, whereas people have this tendency to, to very much overcook the way they reward themselves or what they think they're owed. Uh, to use an analogy, my local coffee shop sits on the intersection of uh, a bike path that follows the Arrow River into town and back out to the suburbs. And so it's immensely popular. And you, you get this very unfortunate sight on a Sunday morning of overweight middle-aged men in Lycra. You know, you've gone down there for a cup of tea and toast and you're confronted by these fat bastards in Lycra. And they all look like a condom stuffed full of walnuts. <laughs> okay. And you think, well, that's just really put me off in the toast and Vegemite. <laughs> and their view is they park, they park their $8,000 carbon fibre bike which has virtually zero rolling resistance, so you just have to put it on the slightest of inclines and it takes off. And they sit there and they go, well, I've just ridden 10K. I really, really should smash this croissant. And I, and I, might, know, I might have a nice coffee as well because I yeah. deserve it. Mm -hmm. Traders and people are the same. That The expression, I deserve it, is a very dangerous one. Mm -hmm. I see traders make small fortunes and then spend slightly more than their small fortune rewarding themselves instead of going, okay, time to leverage that and move to the next level. And I'll give myself something little along the way. Mm. Uh, and again, we're back to that notion of leveraging. Mm -mm. All right. So um, another question, if you were to go into a time machine, right, and push a button and you were to go back maybe 30 years time, and you were to talk to your younger self, what would you say? Buy Apple. <laughs> really? Just buy Apple? <laughs> <laughs> no life advice or anything or just invest in the well, right stock? No, it would be, and this is very, very much like, and I don't know whether you've seen them, successful people, be it in whatever field, have been asked to write a letter to their 12-year-old self mm, and say, right. what advice would you give them? Mm. My, my advice would be to myself would be uh, it wouldn't be to trade more stupidity for time because I was pretty stupid so it, it's hard to leverage that any further mm. it would be around the notion of and I think this is a, I think this would be the same advice for everybody it would be trust in the quality of your own decisions and your own path and not be disturbed from that path. Because I think what happens is that there is a, a second guessing that particularly young people do when we're all young. And you think, is that the right thing? Should I have done that? Is, is that, should I go here? Should I go there? Is this a better opportunity? And admittedly, to some degree, you have to go through that. That's just simply one of these rites of passage that we all go through. Mm. but it would be to trust in the quality of your own decisions because 
they will actually work out. They might not work out in the way you think they're going to, but they will. So long as you stay the course and keep grinding. And the notion, the thing I've noticed is that people don't like the grind. It, it's a matter of just grind things out bit by bit. So accept that it is a grind, but it will work out if you trust in your own decisions. Mm, okay. Are you still there? I am. Okay. Yep. No worries. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. All right. So how can people get in contact with you, Chris? Easiest way to get in contact with me is I'd recommend two things. Mm. One, download our trading plan template from tradinggame.com.au. Fill it in and you'll notice that this is, this is not meant to sound dismissive of people, but rather you might think you know a lot about trading, but when it's actually questioned, you, you don't. The second way is come on, on the website and subscribe to my blog where I constantly rant, rave, put things of interest up. Sometimes they're trading related, sometimes they're not. There's mm. often a lot of cars up there. There's often a bit of music. <laughs> okay. There's the, there's the occasional boat, even though I'd never buy one. I'm just amazed at how they look. And, but also how much the Singapore they post. Photos? Yeah, okay. Yes. And we post photos from uh, wherever, wherever we travel to. Mm. Uh, so I would recommend those as the first two steps. And if anybody has any questions... They can contact me at chris at tradinggame.com.au and that will actually come straight to me. One, one of the things Louise and I insist on is that our personal emails come direct to us. They don't get through a third party because one of the things that really jacks me off is you run into an officious PA who really needs a good slap, who <laughs> intercepts and you know gets in the way which is very, very frustrating when you're attempting to do business with people. And mm. the PA has intercepted a very important email that she doesn't think is important. Mm. So I would recommend those as the steps to follow. Yep. Yeah, I spoke to, um, like this a few years ago when I interviewed uh, Louise and I went straight to her and, um, yeah, she was really lovely. She was great on email and, and on the interview as well. And uh, Caroline, speaking to you, everyone's just really nice, talking to your team. So... Yeah, we, we, we have one, one of the insistences we have in terms, we have very few corporate policies other than, you know, everybody wears pants, is that no dickheads. Love it. Life, life is too full of dickheads you run into coincidentally to actually employ them. So we, we have very, very much a strict no dickhead policy. Mm. Now, sometimes I'd probably fail that policy myself. But, you know, you try as, as hard as you can not to. So, no, we, we don't like working with people who are problematic. One, one of the great sayings I came across years ago, which is not mine but which I have stolen, is small problem at the beginning, big problem at the end. Mm. And that has never not been shown to be true. And it's true, and it's even true in trading. If a trade is a small problem at the beginning, it will probably be a big problem at the end. So it's mm. something I tend to apply universally. Mm. Fantastic. All righty then. Okay, so um, Chris, I'd like to thank you for your time. I really appreciate 
um, you know, you, yourself blocking out your time from, from your day and uh, sharing your wisdom with all of us. Um, I wish you all the best for your future endeavors and, uh, and yeah, like uh, keep doing what you're doing. We love what you're doing. And, um, and yeah, we hope to see you out there uh, helping more people and, and reaching more people globally as well. So, no, thank, thanks for the invite. It's, all, it's always good to chat to a grown-up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I learned a lot from this one, so it was really good. And um, yeah, I love there how you're already down to earth, and yeah, really, you know, you share share your wisdom, and just you know, it's all it's all real. There's no bullshit or anything. So yeah, yeah, I was helpful. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>